All this year, the theme has been elevate your life, taken from Ephesians 2 and 6. God raised us. Which direction? Oh, I need a better response. Shout it. The reason you need to shout that out is I want you to feel the emphasis of the direction you're supposed to be going. Up. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going up. Amen. Not down, up. God raised us up with Christ. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 4 and 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. What comes out of our heart is going to determine whether we live to see the fulfillment of God's plans for us that we be elevated. Well, in this part of the series on soul detox, um, we want to talk today about toxic words. You can speak life or death, literally, over your own life and that of others. We'll simply talk today about the results of talking to yourself. You talk to yourself? You do, whether you admit it or not. They used to think there was something wrong with people who talk to themselves. Zig Ziglar said there's nothing wrong with talking to yourself. There's not even anything wrong with answering yourself. That's what he said, and I agree with that. He said, the problem is, is if you say, huh, to the answer, then you have trouble, amen. This is the way it works. Toxic thoughts produce toxic emotions. Toxic emotions lead you to speak toxic words. Toxic words will inevitably lead to a toxic life. Why? Because like God, you speak your world into existence. All of us will have difficult circumstances that we will go through. That's part of living, as you often hear me say, in a fallen world that's ruled by a fallen Lord and as the result of being a fallen race. We live in a world where things just go wrong. For example, those of you sitting over here on the sides may have thought the sound was a little louder than normal. You know why that is? Came in this morning after service last night and everything apparently was working fine. The main house speakers are, went off. Haven't been able to get them on. So Johnny has quickly rigged something up where we're now speaking or being able to be heard through some of the auxiliary monitors that uh, are not really meant to carry that. So it's got to be a little louder in some areas, not as well balanced. This is what goes on in a fallen world. Uh, it's called entropy, second law of thermodynamics. Things, according to uh, the famous Nigerian author, I think his name was Achibe, I read the book, profoundly touching, things fall apart. This world, that's just the way things go. But in God, we're supposed to reverse that trend, and our lives become better and better the more we serve him. But every once in a while, when we hit one of these toxic circumstances, we're not careful, toxic emotions, watch this, will be produced that will lead us to speak toxic words and that in turn will produce a toxic life. And then what happens? The whole cycle repeats itself because living a toxic life creates toxic emotions and toxic emotions lead you to speak toxic words which produce a toxic life, which living a toxic life produces more toxic emotions and life becomes a downward spiral. And I'm sure that every single one of us have had to deal with this. Some research researchers say that the average person speaks 
to himself or herself 50,000 times a day. And 80% of it, according to research, is negative. Father, speak to us right now. Help us to know the power of transformation that comes from your word, I ask in the name of Jesus. Help us put a watch over our lips and help us to watch what we say, guard what we say in Jesus' name. Let your word transform us that we can live the elevated life. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, be careful what you say. That's good advice. And it should be applied to every part of our life from business relationships to social relationships. It should be applied in terms of finances, health, everything, family, spouse, yourself, amen. Just to show you how important saying the right things is in a relationship, what happens, guys, if this takes place? Watch it joke, okay? Wife standing in front of a mirror, frowning when her husband walks in. She said, I'm looking old. My hair's turning gray. I've got wrinkles and I'm fat. I've got love handles. I'm sagging. Amen. The husband just stared and never said a word. How many of you men have lived with your wife long enough to know that was a mistake right there? So she turned because Anytime you hear something like that said, guys, I'll help you out. You're supposed to respond. Oh, no, 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 baby. That's not, uh -uh. you still got it, gal. Amen. Well, he was slow on the uptake, and she turned and asked, well, aren't you going to say anything? And the husband paused for a moment, and he said, well, there's nothing wrong with your eyesight. There was something wrong with his after she got her fist out of it. I can... Amen. Be careful what you say. Not only can saying the wrong thing hurt relationships, it can hurt you. What you say can hurt yourself. The Greek word toxicon is the word from which we get our word toxic. It actually refers to an archer aiming and shooting a poison arrow. This is precisely the image the scripture uses to describe toxic words. For in Psalm 64 and verse 3, they aim cruel words like deadly arrows. They aim cruel words. Has anybody in this building ever had cruel words spoken to you by someone? Your life ever been upset, been injured, wounded by cruel words? The old childhood saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is one of the most untrue adages that has ever been coined by the enemy. Sticks and stones can break your bones, but bones can heal. Wounded spirits, on the other hand, wounded hearts, they can suffer for a lifetime. And this image of an archer aiming a poison arrow is very familiar to me because of where I'm in and out of all the time. Africa, now, there's a huge problem 
and they claim in short order the rhinoceros is probably going to be just about extinct except for those in zoos, private collections. The reason for that is they're killing, poachers are killing the rhinos just to cut off the horn. And because somewhere in the Orient, these guys, elderly guys, got the idea that if you grind up the rhino horn and you drink it with water or something, it makes you more virile. And um, really all a rhino horn is made of is the same stuff that your fingernail is made of or your hair. So what governments have begun to do there to save <clears throat> the animal from going extinct, they have been cutting their horns off, thinking that that would make them less valuable to a poacher. You know what the poachers have done? The economy is so bad, and they can make so much money, and people are so poor. They can make so much money from these things that they said, you take our money away from us, we'll kill your animal anyway. And they've been setting snares, and they're using poison, poison arrows, and you can see pictures of these things. They publish them in magazines, and they do the same with elephants, too. They shoot them, and this arrow festers, and there's this huge mass of rotting flesh until finally the animal just collapses and dies, and the poacher just cuts off the tusk or the horn, of uh, whichever the case, and sells it, and it brings a lot of money. This is what God's Word says that poisonous words are like. They're like these arrows that are shot that fester until the flesh begins to decay. Your life begins to rot. It can end up, well, like the animals, it can end up pretty much taking away from you everything that's good. That's the power of toxic words. There's tremendous power in the words you say. I believe that we're cautioned by the Scripture by the word of God to be careful what we speak. Amen. Matthew 12, 36 through 37, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Wow. Why would God be concerned about what we say? especially if we just say it in the privacy of our own thoughts to ourselves, I believe that the reason God is so concerned about what we say is that if there's anybody that knows how powerful words are, he does. Listen, Psalms 33 and 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He knows words are so powerful they can create worlds. In the 39th chapter, or 33rd chapter, the 9th verse, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Proverbs 18 and 21, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. One way or another, you're going to end up eating the fruit of this that you speak, either life or death. The principle is, is that if you love the understanding and you're careful about what you say, you will eat the fruit of life. But if you love all of this negativism and what you say is critical and cutting, even if it's just to yourself, 
And if you notice that some people have a self-appointed ministry of criticism. Come on, help me out here. You're going to end up eating the fruit of that as well, which is death. Amen. Every day you are either speaking life or you are speaking death over your own life. And this is the kicker. It doesn't stop with you. It doesn't. Because as Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out from the abundance of the heart. You're going to speak. So guess what happens? It's not just you you end up saying things to that are cutting and harsh or unkind or critical or negative. You end up talking it to somebody else. I actually one time spoke with someone not wishing to bring up something uh, unpleasant. And we all make mistakes, but somebody had made some comments and I questioned them about it. And their response was, well, that was just what I was saying to my own family. They were talking about another person. I said, you can't do that even with your own family. You have to be careful. Amen. If there's anybody you ought to protect, it's your family. Help me out here. I'll tell you this, in raising our children, we, my wife and I purpose, we would not make our dinner table the place where we discussed everybody else's mistakes. We didn't do that. Nor did we allow it in our home. Why? Because I wanted my kids to grow up respecting fellow believers and the church and loving ministry and amen. Look, Matthew 12, 36 to 37 Eugene Peterson's The Message. Let me tell you something, he said. This is Christ speaking. Every one of those careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. Take them very seriously. Amen. That's the word of God. Words can be your salvation. Words can also be your damnation. Whoa! Now, this whole thing about damnation, for example, most of us, because of our church background, we associate that with eternal judgment, and it's true. There's a lot of that in that word, and it can refer to that. But it means something else. You can damn your own life before you ever face eternity. Well, I need a better amen than that. Yeah, you can. You can speak death over your own life. You know, most of us, that word, and I'm not cursing when I say damn. You need to understand the etymology of the word. Most of us think D-A-M-N is a curse word. We don't use it, and we shouldn't because of what I'm going to tell you in a moment. But the etymology of the word might be surprising. It actually comes from India. The smallest coin during the days of the British colonial empire in India was a dam, D-A-M. And the common expression in India was, if something had no value, I would not give a damn for that thing because it's not worth a damn, that small coin. So what happened is administrators and government officials and soldiers and uh, travelers would go and they would live in India for a while and because it was a part of one of, a, a part of the the British Empire. Then they would return and they brought that saying back with them to Great Britain. And it worked its way into our vocabulary. But since most of us come from a Christian background, don't realize it was talking about a coin, we thought they were talking about 
someone's soul's eternal consequence. That wasn't it at all. When someone says, I don't give a damn like Scarlett, you know, Rhett Butler did to Scarlett O'Hara. Frankly, Scarlett, I don't give a. We think he's cursing. He actually wasn't. Now, I don't go around using that because the Bible said, let not your good be evil spoken of. So don't be, don't think, oh, pastor said it's okay to say that now. I didn't. Amen. That's not what I said. You need to be careful. Amen. But when we use this word damnation, you need to understand you can make your life worthless by the words you say, less valuable than it would have been otherwise, which grieves the heart of God because he made you to have value. Somebody in the building say amen. Listen, words can be your salvation or your damnation. What is this referring to? Words determine your outcome. That's what it means, words. You say, I thought deeds would determine my outcome. Words determine your outcome. Oh, Lord. Jesus is our example. What kind of words did he speak? John 6, 63. The words that I speak to you They are spirit and they are life. Be like Jesus. Speak life. Oh, come on. I need a better response. I'm going to show you something that's shocking. We recently spoke about spiritual authority, the 12 dimensions of spiritual authority. Your words have authority whether you realize it or not. The reason is you're made in the image and likeness of God. Man was given dominion, which means that he was given authority. So when you speak, your words resonate with authority that the universe around you recognizes whether you recognize it or not. And this is true whether you're believer or non-believer. Amen. Now you empower that by being filled with the Holy Spirit and your life really does become incredible. But watch this now. I'm going to show you something. I can't vouch for this. I'm not a scientist, but I've done a lot of research. Some scientists say, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, I can't see how this happens. Yet, they don't have an explanation for what I'm about to show you. A doctor in Japan has made his life's work, what I'm about to present on the screen. His name is Dr. Masaru Emoto. Amen. You can find this. And, and, and as you, as if you want to Google his name, the power of words, he began to wonder what impact do our words have on the world that we live in? So you know what he would do? He would take samples of water, samples of water, and he would take from the same source, same amount of water, and he would take one and put it in one room and one in another. And the one in one room, he would speak life over it. You're blessed. You're beautiful. I love you. One in the other room, I hate you, I want to kill you, you're ugly. He would say things like that. Then he would take both of them at the same time, after labeling them, freeze them, flash freeze them, and keep them frozen for, I think it was like three and a half hours or something like that. I'd have to look it back up to know exactly how long. And then he would take them out and just, I don't even know how God thinks of something like this, but he would photograph them under a microscope and photograph the ice crystals that formed. To his amazement, the ones that you spoke good things over, the ice crystals were beautiful. The one that you spoke death over, the ice crystals were ugly. Now, 
This is where he went with this. He said, if this happens as a result of speaking, our bodies are 70% water. What are we speaking into our lives or into the lives of our families? Whoa. Now, this to me simply confirms the power that Scripture has told us is in words all along. Now, I don't need to see photographs to know that words hurt. I've been there. I've been damaged by them. So have you. I've watched them damage others. I deal with people on a daily basis who are less than what they could be in terms of the productivity of their lives and certainly their happiness and function in life because somewhere somebody said the wrong things over them. Lord have mercy. I look at stuff like this and then I, I understand better the main character in this, this series and I'm just about done. Jacob, he stands before Pharaoh and I've already told you, I'm thinking this is the most blessed guy in the Bible. I mean, he wasn't even supposed to have the birthright or the patriarchal blessing. Pharaoh says, how old are you? And Jacob says, I'm 130 years old. And then adds this as a postscript. Pharaoh didn't ask him how he was doing. He added this, that few and evil have been the days of my life. And I'm wanting to say, what are you talking about, man? It's, you're, it's, he's going to be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when he was supposed to have been known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Your daddy had two sons. You have 12. You've started a whole nation. You're going to die fabulously wealthy. One of your sons is second in command of the greatest empire in the world. And you're talking about how hard your life is? And then it occurs to me that this is the, the result of talking to yourself and saying the wrong things. After working with people for years and it was a result of my own experience, I am convinced that causing people to use the power of negative self-talk to limit their destinies and even to destroy their very lives is a strategy that the enemy has chosen to use over and over again with great success. The question then arises, why is this such a common and successful strategy? We normally say, first time, shame on you. Second time, yeah, we usually learn. But why haven't we? And why does he use this so successfully? I think the answer is very simple. Negative self-talk is what destroyed him. And just like he couldn't see the effects of it until it was too late, Many of us don't either. You say it destroyed the enemy? Negative self-talk? Yes. Chapter 28 of Ezekiel tells us that Lucifer was the archangel that led in worship in heaven. He was over the others. Listen to what Ezekiel 12, 28 and 12, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, the seal of perfection. It didn't get any better than him. He had a life that was perfect. Verse 14 through 15, you were the anointed cherub who covers. 
I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the stones, fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Woe till iniquity was found in you. I just got to stop right there. Perfect from the day you were created. You need to understand God doesn't make any junk. Amen. And if our life ends up being less than that, it wasn't because he made it to be that way. What happened to Satan and Lucifer? Because he was cast out of heaven. What led to such a horrid loss of position, favor, prominence, and blessing? I believe it was his self-talk. Why? Have I reached that conclusion? Read Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Five times he uses the word I, I, I. What is it? What is he doing? Who's he talking to? Look, you have said in your heart, that's what it claims in verse 13. You have said in your heart, the wrong self-talk destroyed him, made him lose everything. Satan uses his persuasive abilities to cause you to do what he did. He knows how it turned out for him, so he knows how it will turn out for us. Amen. He can persuade us to speak negative over our own lives, change our self-talk to be critical, condemning about ourselves and others. He knows what the result will be. Amen. Do you believe the right self-talk then, pastor, can position us for a breakthrough? You better know it can. Look at Luke 15 and 17, the prodigal son. He went to his father, the wrong talk. What happens is you get the wrong people around you. Three things determine your future. The thoughts you think, the friends you keep, and the decisions you make. And the first two influence a third. Amen. Wrong friends. He went to his daddy. I want what's coming to me right now. Went out and blew it with the others. Let me tell you, first of all, you need to know who your friends are. A friend is not the guy who pats you on the back and commiserates with you when you're belly aching. It's the guy that looks at you and says, straighten it up, okay? Get it together. You can make it. Yeah, it's bad, but it could be worse. Keep focused on what's right. That's a friend. That's a friend, amen. All kind of folk will commiserate with you, tell you you're okay, but look what happened. When everything was gone, where are those friends? You see, whenever you start your negative self-talk, it ends up, I said, in a negative life, a toxic life. And you know what people do to those who have a toxic life? Until one day you look up and you're alone. And that's what happened with him. By himself in the pig pen. And how do I know self-talk can turn you around? 
and position you for a breakthrough. Luke 15, 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? You need to talk to yourself. Come on, somebody. You need to talk to yourself. Look at the woman with the issue of blood. Can the right self-talk position you for a breakthrough? Mark 5 and 28, she had suffered everything that she could possibly suffer at the hands of physicians and spent all of her money but grew nothing better. Instead grew worse, the scripture said. This is what she said when Jesus came by. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Who did she say it to? That's the question. She said it to herself. Turn to yourself now. I always say turn to somebody. Turn to yourself and say, you can make it. Would you do that? Tell yourself it's going to be all right. Tell yourself that life is better than what you could really deserve anyway. As blessed as he was, I cannot help but wonder what Jacob would have experienced in his life had he learned to talk to himself the right way. Conclusion, life application points. Number one, change your self-talk. Don't speak the circumstance. Speak God's word into the circumstance. There's a reason. John 6 and 63, again, Jesus said the words, it is the spirit who gives life. Remember, say it, spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The reason that when you change your self-talk and begin to speak God's word into your situation, the reason that's so powerful is God and his word are indivisible. You say, how do I get God in my difficult circumstance? Fast, pray. I'm gonna go to this revival and have somebody pray for me. Benny Hinn, great man. You know, these, all these church leaders. Somebody give me a word. Why don't you give yourself a word? Amen. David encouraged himself in the Lord. When there's nobody around to lay hands on you and say, Shikamoshai, why don't you just look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm speaking a word over my own life. Amen. Because when you speak the word, God and his word are indivisible. You speak the word in your circumstance, you're bringing God into your circumstance immediately. Uh, fast and pray, yeah, but the results may take a while. Ask Daniel, 21 days. Amen, Jesus, 40. But you know how to get help right now? Speak the word into your situation. Number two, count your blessings instead of your problems. Psalms 139, 17 and 18, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. I think what it means is if I could count them. Amen.
because you can't count the preciousness of God's thoughts toward you. I tell you what, long before really Nelson ever sang it, God was singing, you were always on my mind. Long before Frank Sinatra sang it, you were on God's mind every moment. You're the apple of his eye. And you need to count your blessings. Psalms 103 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Psalms 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loads us with benefits. It's so easy to complain when things don't go our way. Amen. I know it. I once knew a minister who was delayed by traffic in reaching the airport, and he was from Fort Worth, pastored in Fort Worth, but he had been preaching in Latin America. And since, ever since he told me this, I have never complained about any flight I've ever, ever missed. Amen. He went to the airport, I think it was in Nicaragua, and the traffic was so bad that when he got there, they had closed the counter, and he was late. And he began to complain, and he was a man that could have a temper and a big imposing guy. And he complained and complained. And they said, we are sorry, the counter is closed, you should have been here. But I don't have anything to do with this traffic. I'm not, you just should have been here, allowed for it. He was so angry, he left. He wanted to go home. That plane crashed with a loss of every person on board. Be careful what you say. You never know what God might have been turning to your good that you're complaining about. Amen. Number three, speak life over your family, your health, your business, your marriage, and your ministry, and your finances. Speak life. Amen. And then in conclusion, speak until there's a breakthrough.